being here today. We appreciate that. Brian and I go way, way back to my Lifeway days, some over 20-something years ago, and it's a, a long, good relationship. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Proverbs 21 tonight. We're going to be camping out there on God's uh, Word of Wisdom to men, and then next week we're going to look at His Word of Wisdom to women. But while you're doing that, you know, one of our uh, mission partners is the Timothy Initiative. We call it TTI around here. And the Timothy Initiative is, uh, I've said this so many times, along with our, one of our other partners, is, uh, which would be Faith Comes By Hearing, are two of the most uh, accountable, measurable partners that you could ever have. And so they recently uh, released one of their, uh, sort of their annual report, and uh, they sent us a copy. And uh, listen, just listen to this now. The, you know, let me see if I can explain the Timothy Initiative. Uh, they take uh, folks, you know, all over the world, even here in the States, but mainly all over the world, and they train up basically lay people uh, to do small groups that turn into churches. And uh, they're gonna, we're, we're going to be hitting 50,000 here pretty soon overseas. But in the past year, 9,159 churches were started. That's awesome, right? Hey, yeah. Well, because of that, uh, they, they can't quite get all this number right, but they estimate 183,180 new believers came to Christ, uh, people came to Christ last year. Uh, they reached 351 unreached people groups. Now, that's, that's somebody who might have heard about Jesus or somebody might have had a Bible in the village, but nothing really was going on. And 350 of those uh, people groups were reached uh, with a church planted in those groups. But here's what's staggering. 30, uh, 30 other uh, gr groups unreached, unengaged people groups. That means nobody's ever gone to them. Uh, this is a tongue in a tribe somewhere where nobody's ever gone to them. And 30 were reached uh, through our partnership uh, with them. And then here's a, a statistic that uh, I remember sort of challenging David uh, uh, Nelms on this uh, many years ago that I think is so significant. We were talking one day, he said, you know, everywhere we go, we go to these places. I'm telling you, the poverty is awful, and, and we've got these orphans everywhere, and we've got these widows everywhere. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm just wondering, how can I raise money to do this? I said, wait a minute, why don't you, why don't you tell the churches to be the church and take care of their widows and orphans? And he said, you know what, that's right. They went back, and I think first in Myanmar and then Pakistan and other places like that. They challenged the churches to do that. And to a church, they said, you know, that's right. That's what the Bible says, and that's what we're going to do. So they've ministered in the past year to 13,091 widows and orphans that these, these indigenous churches are taking care of themselves, which I think is absolutely awesome. Well, we come tonight to look, and as we resume our series in Proverbs, we come tonight uh, to look at what these Proverbs say generally, and then in a minute specifically, uh, to men. And then next week we'll look at women. Justin Beasley was supposed to preach tonight. He's here. He was supposed to preach tonight, but of course, uh, Rachel's bedridden. And so we said, look, you stay with Rachel all you can and uh, be with her and don't worry about preparing sermons right now. You, let's, let's get that baby here on time and safe and healthy and we'll take care of that. So I'm substituting for Justin tonight. Remember that a proverb is a, is a comparison basically is what it is. And what a proverb typically does in scripture in the proverbs that, that are gathered there, it's some memorable, you know, comparison. Uh, it, it's a memorable comparison. So a truth is stated uh, typically, a truth is stated, whether positively or negative, and then its antithesis is stated. 
So, you know, if this is good, then this is bad. Or sometimes this is bad, but this is good. Uh, th this is what you want to be, and this is what you never want to be. This is what you want to do. This is what you never want to do. And so we see this, and, and there's so many words to uh, words of wisdom in the Proverbs, and I, I, you know, I won't go over all of them, uh, but as you read through there, uh, you find these collections of sayings for just about any situation in our lives. Many of the Proverbs, for instance, speak about finances and money and how to, how to uh, appropriate that, speak about work and how, how to avoid being lazy and being often it's called in the King James a sluggard, you know, a sluggard turns... Uh, uh, in its bed like a door on the hinges, you know, never gets up. A sluggard says, there may be a lion out in the street. I'm not going anywhere, you know, imagining all this stuff that could happen. And so every one of us can benefit from the Proverbs. And so in these words to a man, if you just sort of do a, a perusal of them, uh, it speaks about many things. It speaks about marriage. Uh, for instance, one of the uh, hallmark proverbs is a, is a I, remember, I remember quoting this to one of Jeff's uh, best friends. He was wearing us out about uh, dating and whatever. He was living with us at the time. And I said, look, boy, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So quit getting out of the will of God and go get a woman and marry her and leave us alone, please. <laughs> and he did. And he's left us alone. And it's been great. So I know it's true. So, so it talks about being a one-woman man. It talks about being a pure man, uh, how you ought to avoid anything that uh, tempts you and ruins your life. You know, how can you take fire into your bosom and not be burned? How can you take fire into your chest and come away, you know, unaffected by that? Stay away from that. Stay away from uh, uh, illicit sex. Stay away from adultery. Stay completely away from things like that. Uh, it talks about how we should live our lives. And it says, you know, a good man uh, will leave an inheritance to his children's children, not just his children, but also his grandchildren. He'll, he'll be wise, he'll be prudent, God will bless him, and instead of just consuming everything for himself, uh, he'll do that. One of my favorite verses that I learned many, many years ago in Proverbs 11 says, a generous man will prosper in all of his ways. It doesn't mean you'll be rich, it means you'll, you'll, you'll find completion and happiness and prosperity uh, either in accepting what you have and, and receiving that as a blessing or having more opportunities. And we know from the New Testament uh, that the more we give, the more God gives to us to give. And I think that's really good. It talks about the caution of a wise man, not to go into business dealings too quickly or, or not to be too quick with a, a, a speaking your mind or whatever else, to be, to be very cautious about those things and about how we, we uh, plan things in our hearts, but God establishes those plans. Go ahead and make your plans, but always uh, have the default to say, whatever God wants to do for me or in my life, that's what I'm going to follow. This is what I think I need to do. This is what I'm praying I'm on the right track to do. But as a man, we have to understand that God will often change our plans. And he talks about how danger often seems right to a man. It looks like this is a risk worth taking. It seems like the right risk, but prudence comes along. That is wisdom from God. And we say, uh, a man will say, well, wait a minute, I better not do that. Doesn't mean we can't take risk. It just means it's different. Well, all, uh, many other things, how, how to be a man of understanding and whatever. But in Proverbs chapter 21, uh, you, you can also all, almost find Proverbs that sort of uh, serve as a summary of all these things. And I'd like to look at those things tonight. So in Proverbs 21.3, he's talking about uh, how, uh, you, you know, every man's way is right in verse 2 in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. And he says, to do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord 
rather than sacrifice. One of the things you learn in the Proverbs and one of the things we should learn and understand as, as men, especially in marriage and in our family, is that it's, it's really a uh, hundred times more important to be righteous than to be religious. To be righteous than be, to be religious. Let me, let me explain what righteousness is. Righteousness is that condition provided by God through Jesus Christ which allows us to move positionally from separation from him into a relationship with him. We might not be any different, but the moment we receive Christ, we have a position change and we're moved in that position to be in a relationship with him. And then things begin to be right in our lives. We begin to be the person that God intends for us to be. You see, the substitute for that is always religion. If I, I do these things and if I observe these rituals or if I, you know, read my Bible every day and whatever, then I'm the kind of man that I need to be. Well, there's nothing wrong with observing rituals. There's certainly nothing wrong with uh, reading the Bible. But being religious is no comparison to being righteous. And a righteous man, that is a, a man who's right with God, first of all, has an orientation toward God first and himself secondly. A good man will always think about what God wants and who God is and his relationship to God and will anything that I say or do violate or hurt or condemn that relationship with God. It's, it's totally counterintuitive because what's intuitive in my life and your life is to be selfish. You know, I want to think of myself first and, and whatever I need to say to get this situation so people can understand my opinion is most important. Whatever I do... I'll do for my family second, but I've got to do this for myself first. I mean, after all, don't, don't we have a right to be happy? And so we go down this trail of unrighteousness, and if we're not careful, we cover it over with a, with a covering of religion, and that won't get us anywhere. A good man, a good man who understands what his life is all about, starts with an orientation to say, I want to be right with God, and that'll make me right within, and when I'm right within, then I can be right with every else. So far as it depends upon me, I want to be right with God and right with everyone else. So he says to do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord rather than sacrifice. Now uh, go down to uh, uh, verse 11. We get the negative first and then we get uh, something about the, open the knowledge. He says, when the scoffer is punished, the naive becomes wise. When the scoffer is punished, the naive becomes wise. But when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. Now, once again, this is sort of a, a covering verse, if you will. So a, a good man is a man who is open to knowledge, open to learning about many, many different things. First of all, he, he acknowledges that he doesn't know everything. That's a very difficult thing to do for a guy. Uh, we don't want to be in the position of not knowing not being able to speak with authority to our children or maybe to know something so we can tell our, our, our wives or, or, to, or to be in a crowd and, and at least be a peer with people, acting like we know something when we, not, when we do not. But see, a righteous man follows the path of knowledge. And what this guy is saying here as he writes these Proverbs is that you can't do much with a scoffer. You can do a little bit with somebody who's naive. But if you get a man who's truly a man, that is, say, when, when, when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. He receives knowledge about life. He's always learning. You ever been around people, doesn't matter their age, who are just unwilling to learn anything? It's the most frustrating thing in the world to be around somebody who needs some instruction, who needs some knowledge, if you will, and you absolutely cannot teach that person anything. 
When Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, here's the path of spiritual progress. First of all, he said, blessed are the mourn, uh, blessed are those... Uh, Blessed are the, uh, uh, those who are, are, are mournful over their sins because they're getting somewhere. You know, the person who comes to the end of themselves and they're poor in spirit, he begins with that, and they mourn that because they know they can't fix whatever it is in their lives, uh, they're, they're, they're in the right position. It's a negative position, but they're in the right position. And then Jesus says these very interesting things. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And when I think of meekness, I think of somebody who's shy and their eyes bat like this, you know, when you talk to them. And well, that's, that's not what he's talking about at all. Somebody who's meek is teachable. See, a good man is teachable. A good man wants to know how he can grow in his relationship with the Lord. He, he's a person you can disciple. A good man is going to find out what his wife's uh, love language is or, or what she requires or how he can help her. A good man is going to learn all of his life about uh, how to instill confidence and in, in a relationship with God with his children as best he can. A good man is going to do those things, and you have to learn the things to do because you've never been down that trail before. What the writer in Proverbs says consistently through all the Proverbs is that a man who is really a man is a learner. He's learning about God. He's learning about himself. He's learning about his world. He's learning about his relationships. And as he learns and acquires knowledge, he doesn't put it up here, but he gets down into his soul so he can apply it, uh, apply it into his life. He's open to knowledge. He's not closed down. Uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a family of men who were absolutely closed-minded. In fact, I had an uncle who, when uh, the astronauts first landed on the moon, didn't believe it. Uh, and he vehemently refused for anybody in his family to broach the subject like it could be real. Now you can say, well, that's dumb as a rock. Of course it's dumb as a rock. But what's worse is that he wasn't open to the possibility that it really and truly could happen. And he lived many years of his life until he finally admitted that there is the remote possibility that that wasn't done in a studio somewhere. And, uh, you know, he was just not open to anything that he couldn't understand. If he didn't have the grasp of it to begin with, he didn't want anybody telling him what to do. Well, you know, I thought about that, uh, I thought about this week as we were preparing for this message, and I, I kind of ran a, a, a mental video of his life, and his life was always upside down. His cars never ran. You know why? Because he never learned how to fix one. He just always knew what was wrong with it. Of course, that wasn't what was wrong with it, but he just said that was wrong. Anybody that came along and said, no, that's not the problem, this is the problem. I can remember my father, who could fix anything, trying to tell him, look, that's not the, no, that's not what's wrong. No, 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 I know what's wrong. Well, his cars never ran. He, he, his, his appliances never worked at his house, right? He couldn't hardly change a light bulb. He couldn't, he couldn't believe that a house that he built would have a short in it, so he had a light that never worked all of his, uh, all of his life. He lived in his house, and the, and the front porch light never worked. But he, he just knew what the problem was, which he didn't know anything about what the problem was, and you could, you could argue with him until he was blue in the face. Well, no, no, a, a good man, a godly man, is a man who's humble enough to say, I don't know. I, I, I need help. I really do. Uh, if you're a man, you've battled with pride in your life, and if you say you haven't, now you're by, by, battling with the truth. So <clears throat> you have a battle either way, right? I remember I was in a situation one time working for somebody, and it was just very difficult because the person was difficult. And I remember uh, thinking, i got to get some help here. 
And I thought about who best could help me understand this. And uh, I had to swallow my pride. And I went and I sat down with my wife and I said, okay, you need, to, you need to teach me how to do this. I need to hear from you about this whole thing about submission to authority. Because I've always been the leader. I've always been the one in authority. And I don't know how, this is a, this is a train wreck. But it took me a long time to get there. And so she sat down and I said, you know, I need to learn. And then she hurt my feelings by saying, yes, you do. As a matter of fact, you really do. <laughs> Almost into the conversation, but anyway. But no, you have to be open to learning about whatever it is you need to learn about. Spiritually, practically, or whatever else. A good man, a godly man, is a man who will learn. Now let's look further down uh, in the passage here. In verse 13, it says, He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. He needs to be tender and he needs to be generous. Generosity is not a natural gift. What we have is the natural gift of feeling sorry for somebody. You know, I, man, that person is, you know, whatever. Generosity in Scripture goes beyond what I have to give you and it extends to what might really cost me to give you. And what he says is something that's true. We have people who are up against it all around us. We have them in church. We have them outside the church. We have all kinds of people. They stand on the street corner selling papers. Uh, sometimes they just beg. They do whatever. And God has always got his ear toward the poor. And it's a godly man who understands that. So how, it, how is it that the poor will ever be taken care of by the Lord if it's not your hands and my hand? And so really, a man can close down his family's generosity by having a cold and ungenerous heart. It's easy when you have plenty and the windows are rolled up and the heat, heater's going fine in your car to see somebody and say, well, they ought to get a job. It's easy to forget that that person who might ought to get a job has children that don't eat. It's easy to forget about the widows and orphans over in Pakistan somewhere. It's easy to forget about people like that. But listen to this. The proverb says, if you ignore the cry of the poor around you and God has blessed you, if you shut your ear to that and you're not generous to that, then you'll cry one day and be amazed at how God doesn't come through. One of the big hurdles that you have to overcome, I suppose, as a believer but certainly as a man, and certainly as a leader of a home, whether it's in marriage or with children, marriage and children, is to become generous. And you can teach people something, but it's so much better to show them. Somebody told me a long time ago about discipleship. You can teach anybody what you know, but you'll only reproduce what you are. So you think about that with your children, men. You think about that in your family. You can teach your children anything you want to teach them. You can learn out of a book or you can learn from the TV. And you can teach them that, but you'll reproduce in their lives what you are. And so he's crying out. I've already told you that, that great proverb in 11 says, Generous man prosper in all of his ways. The act of generosity was modeled for me in my home uh, when I was growing up. And it became much easier for me, in fact, to be generous. Generous. Godly men are generous because God is generous. And we learn generosity by doing it. We learn generosity, generosity, <laughs> generosity by taking the step of faith 
And you know what faith is. I said it this morning in our uh, church, what I, I said about faith. Faith is, faith is believing in God and doing what he says, even when you don't quite believe it. Uh, you prove it by doing it, right? And so a uh, word to the wise for men is that we are generous people. Here's another one that's kind of interesting to me. It's always intrigued me. Notice verse 17, if you will. He who loves pleasure will become a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not become rich. Well, there's a th common theme through the Proverbs, and uh, we're not talking about alcohol per se or, uh, uh, you know, going to Dollywood per se or whatever. Here, here's what, here's what uh, the Bible is saying to men. You need to have a healthy understanding and application of pleasure in your life. Pleasure that allows you to escape and catch your breath is one thing. Pleasure, if you're not careful, will overtake your life. And that'll be all you're focused on. And when you do, it'll come to your ruin. A healthy understanding of what pleasure is and what pleasure is not. I always think about the writer of, the, of Ecclesiastes when he said, look, I've tried pleasure. I've tried philosophy. I've tried production. I've worked hard. I've done all this stuff. And what I've come to understand is I went to the limits of pleasure. I didn't deny myself anything. I went to the limits of work. I built everything I could and everything I wanted to build. I, I went to the limits of understanding of philosophy, and I decided that it was all in vain. He didn't have that healthy understanding until it was too late. What the proverb is saying here is for a man is that you need to understand the limits of pleasure, the limits of anything that will take you away from being generous, the limits of anything that will take you away from being righteous, the limits of anything that will allow you to substitute anything for knowledge. And he says, know the limits of pleasure. I'm not sure I have ever pushed the limits of pleasure because I grew up in a negative world that said, if you're not working, you're no good. So to me, you just work, you work, 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 work. You just try to work all the time, which is ridiculous, of course. So there's a balance to everything, right? And a good man, a wise man, will lead himself and his family to the very limits of pleasure where it doesn't hurt you economically, it doesn't hurt you spiritually, it doesn't take you away from the mission of God in your life, it doesn't take you away from the body of Christ as you serve in the body of Christ and relate to the body of Christ, and it never but never but never hurts your marriage or your family. So we have to ask ourselves from time to time, all right, we're going to do this, we'll go here, we'll experience this and whatever, and I don't think there's anything that's necessarily forbidden to us that's not sinful, but is there a limit to that? And at what point does it begin to hurt the very fabric of my relationship with my wife? What is it, when does it begin to hurt the fabric of my relationship to the family? And what message do I send if I substitute that for the serving of God and the expansion of the kingdom or the building of the family or whatever else you can fill in the blank? In verse 21, there's an interesting verse. He said, he who pursues righteousness and loyalty finds life, righteousness, and honor. There are two things there. First of all, if you pursue righteousness, the Bible says in the words of Jesus, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. So I'll just tell you again what I've told you for 12 years. You're spiritual and as righteous as you want to be. Right tonight, you know all the Bible you want to know. You're as righteous as you want to be. The power of God resides within you. And once you pursue righteousness and you get a taste of it, you get more of it. And once you get more of it, you want more of it. But what I want to focus in on in this verse, of course, is loyalty. A good man is loyal. Throughout the Proverbs, we read this. 
the loyalty of a good man. What does it mean truly to be loyal? Well, I'll tell you, a person who's loyal to his wife or loyal to uh, his friends will never talk behind their back or do anything that will ever hurt their advancement into the kingdom of God or anywhere else on earth. A loyal person is a true person. A loyal person is a person who has integrity and in, responsibility, in, in uh, relationship, they bear a responsibility to the person they're in relationship with that absolutely allows that person the comfort of knowing I've got a true friend there. A loyal person will always support you no matter what you've done. They may not condone it, but they won't condemn you. Condemnation is for the Lord, it's not for us. They won't gossip about you. They'll help you if you need it. They're loyal to you even when you make mistakes. A man needs to be extremely and utmost, have utmost loyalty for his wife. Many, many years ago, we were uh, pastoring in Richmond, Virginia, and uh, we were working one day at the church, uh, fixing some basement windows in an old building that we had that kept leaking water. And uh, I, I began to overhear this conversation with this guy, and he, he, he was talking about his wife. And uh, he was kind of, you know, uh, men kind of get to hammering on this, and they were just kind of talking, and it wasn't, it wasn't anything bad at first. But as the conversation went on, he, he kind of concluded everything, and we all caught our breath when he said, he said, you, you know, my, my wife is just really stupid. Uh, she does, does some stupid things. And I'm thinking, man, you're saying that in front of all these men? And uh, he didn't stop there. He just he kind of kept going, and everybody kind of got quiet, but he kept going. And uh, I thought, well, okay, enough's enough. And I said, uh, John, how long have you been married? Oh, we've been married 28, 30 years, whatever he said. And I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm a young guy. I don't know much, but I, I do know this about Scripture, uh, that you should never say things like this in front of men about your wife, number one. Number two, I don't believe she's stupid like you say she is. And number three, she might have been stupid when you started out, but if she's stupid now, that's your fault, buddy. <laughs> You owe her the best of your life and to be loyal, to pour into her everything it takes for her to be the woman that God wants her to be. Loyalty is that way. I'm not going to run you down. I'm not going to run my wife down in front of everybody else. No, we're not talking about teasing and the little quirks like when my wife organizes the drawer on my night table. I mean, I'm, don't you, don't, every woman in here, don't you do that? My wife does that for me. I can't find anything for two or three weeks, but it's fine. It's just... No, that's funny. That's fun. That's the fun of marriage. That's the quirks of marriage. I'm talking about when you, when you begin to tear down somebody, especially your wife first, then your children, you know, and then going beyond that, your friends. And what. No, a loyal person, a godly man is loyal. A godly man will stick closer than a brother. A godly man will be a friend at all times. A godly man will stop and pull you out of the ditch even when he knows and you know that he knows you've done wrong. A godly man will tell you the truth when nobody else will. A godly man will be loyal, and that's what loyalty really is. It's a pure heart that says, I'm going to give you my life no matter what so that you can do and be the best that you can. Notice in verse 23 what he says. He said, he who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from trouble. I think we probably don't understand what the effect of our words are. If we did, we wouldn't talk nearly as much. I'm, I'm preaching to me tonight. I'm not just preaching to you and saying I do this. But what he's saying here is there's a chain of events that happens when you speak a word of anything. When you say a positive word, there's a chain of events that happens that's good, that are good. 
when you speak a word of encouragement, when you guard your mouth and you think, you know, I just need to, wait a minute, let's just, let's just be quiet here. Let's just clam up here for a little bit. You're going to avoid trouble that will naturally come to you. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from trouble. Now, what is a soul? A soul is your mind and your will and your emotions. And what he's saying there is your mouth and, and the guarding of your mouth and the tongue and the speech that you have will actually protect your mind and your will and your emotions. That, that typically is what happens. You get two people in an argument and pretty soon they've lost their mind. You know, they're just arguing, right? They've lost their willpower. They might strike one another or, you know, might, you know, say something they can't, they'll regret for the rest of their lives. Their emotions begin to run wild. You, you let your words start going down a trail and pretty soon it overtakes your ability to control your life in your mind. It overtakes your will. It overtakes your ability to, to have self-governance self -governance and self-control in your life. A good man will always think about what he says and has, says, has said and will say from time to time. Then, uh, I like this one in verse 28, a false witness will perish, but the man who listens to the truth will speak forever. You know, I'm not sure that in our nation right now we love the truth very much. Uh, I, I can hardly stand to read anything anymore or listen to the pundits on TV or even radio. It's just noise out there, and it seems like not the quicker that we can get to the truth, the better we are, but the bigger the lie, the better we are. You get paid for the biggest lie, not the clearest truth. But the man who loves the truth, now think about how disarming that is. If I love the truth, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love the truth about myself. We have to start right there as a man. I'm, go, I'm going to love uh, somebody speaking into me or God speaking into me or my discovery of the truth that, that allows me to come along and say, you know what, these are really things that need to go out of your life. These are really habits or these are really situations. These are really relationships and you just need to get rid of these things right here and right now. You love the truth that much tonight? You love the truth about what you've heard tonight, about your, your speech or being generous or whatever, or do you bristle against those things? When God speaks truth into our lives, most often our reaction is negative. It's to respond to, you know, like, ooh, ouch, I don't believe that or I, I don't want to do that or, or whatever. But when you love the truth, when you, when you pursue the truth, when you go down into the truth, it says you'll be able to speak the truth forever. When you love the truth, you see its clarity. You, you see its, its power. You see its benefit. When you love the truth about your life, then you begin to see the truth for what it can do and the truth in somebody else's life. You, you see how the truth can change the fortunes of a nation or the fortunes of a family. When you love the truth, you can sit down and say, look, this is the truth about our marriage and it has to stop. This has to stop and we've got to do this. The truth can sometimes start out as painful, but it doesn't always end up as painful. I'm not talking about the truth that tears somebody down. I'm talking about the truth that says this is the situation as it is. And what is the truth? The truth is always what God sees and what God says about any situation. And the person who loves the truth, that is, loves what God sees and what God says about any situation, about any comment, 
about any feeling, about any action, that man who loves the truth and the clarity to see things as God sees things and to apply the things of God to those things is a man who will speak the truth forever. And the great thing about the truth is Jesus Christ himself said, I'm going to tell you the truth, and that's absolutely going to free you from every constraint, every comparison, every bad memory. It's going to help you to overcome everything that you've undone in your life so that God, in fact, can make it right. I love the proverb that says, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord will bring is our riches and honor in life. The humility to say, God, I, I need the truth. I need what you say to me. So we have some proverbs to men. Could easily be applied to women. But if you think about that, those proverbs, are there anything, is there anything that we said tonight that would kind of rankle you a little bit or cause you to have an ouch in your spirit? Are you religious or do you pursue righteousness? Is your righteousness making you right with God and right with one another? The easiest thing in the world to be is out of sorts with God and to have bad relationships. It's so easy. All you have to be is selfish. And you can destroy every relationship that you've ever had or ever will have. Are you open to knowledge to learn more about spiritual life? Or are you just like my uncle who, who knew everything about his car, but none of them would ever run? Is your life like that? Nothing ever quite works, but you know everything. You got everything right up here. Your mind is closed. Nothing can penetrate what you don't understand. Are you generous? Do you hear the cry of the poor around the world? What are you doing about it? Do you understand what the Bible says? If you shut your ear off to that, if you shut your heart away from that, then one day you'll cry out and there won't be any answer. There won't be any answer. Does it bother you that you're not generous? or haven't considered somebody that's poor? Do you have a healthy understanding of pleasure? Has pleasure become your God in any sense? A hobby? Uh, vacations? How you spend your time and your money and your whatever? Has that kind of gone to an extreme and now it takes away the building up of your marriage? Men, do you, are you listening? Does it take away the building up of your marriage, the building up of your home, the building up of your life, your business, your profession, your vocation, whatever. The healthy limits of pleasure are so important in a society like us, and especially with us because we have so much discretionary income. It can just be spent on anything. You pay the price of pleasure when it becomes your God. We all do. Are you loyal? Do your friends know that you're there, they can trust you and if they speak in confidence, you'll never betray that. If you say you'll be on time or be at this place with them, you'll always be there. Will you do what you say? Are you loyal to the church? Are you loyal to the family of God here? Are you, 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 you get the picture. Does that rankle you or do you need, in fact, to be better at it? What about your speech? Is it the kind that builds up? The Bible says we're to speak only the words that are beneficial for edification to building people uh, we're not to condemn, we're not to gossip. And do you love the truth, the pure, unvarnished truth that comes from God that accepts tonight how he sees things and what he says about those things? Well, I think those are words to men. And when you combine that with words to wisdom, where we'll be next week, 
I believe you'll see when the two come together, they become powerful forces for change and development and building not only of our families and our churches, but really of our world. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you in the name of Christ tonight that you allow us to, especially as men, to take these words deep into our hearts and live these words out. Lord, I pray that we'll understand what you want us to be, what a godly man is and, and uh, what it means to be a godly man, not just a religious person, not just a person who's always uh, doing this or that, but a person who has understood that what you say about his life, my life, our lives is the truth. And how you see our lives is the truth. And what you say is the truth. And when you say don't do something, that hurts us if we do it. And when you command us to do something, that's this great invitation to happiness and fulfillment and all the things that you say. Make us generous men. Make us righteous men, Lord. Make us men whose uh, words are edifying. Make us men who are loyal. Make us men who seek knowledge and don't close off our minds. And make the men of this church, this body, the kind of men that other men will want to be like. May you raise us up with such spiritual fervor and ardor and such spiritual strength and such gentleness and humility combined with the strength that you give us in Christ that any boy, any young man, any man would say, I, I want to be like those guys there at Judson Baptist Church. And we pray this as humbly as we know how, for we need you. We need you, Lord. And we just pray that by your great and wonderful, amazing grace that we might desire what we've heard tonight and you might fill our lives with the power of your Holy Spirit to live out what we've heard. And we pray this in Jesus' name.